I came at dance music from a drum and bass place. So from a personal point of view, so excited to talk to the Groove Rider. Yes, it's Trailblazers Electronic Pioneers back once again with another episode supported by our friends at Skiddle. And yeah, I mean, when you think of drum and bass, Eddie, you kind of think of Groove Rider, don't you? So it was important that we got him on board for the show and we recorded it in March 21. Without further ado, Groove Rider. Welcome, dear friends, to another episode of Trailblazers. My name is Eddie Temple-Morris, and by my side, as ever, XL Recordings and Positiva founder, Nick Hawks. Together, each time we delve into the lives of some of dance music's brightest luminaries to talk about the cultural fires they started and to play some of the tunes that soundtrack their fascinating lives. Today's Trailblazer is a legendary DJ in raves, both legal and illegal back in the day, and radio host both legal and illegal back in the day. A remixer of great skill and a trailblazer in the truest sense, this man's vision helped forge the genre of drum and bass that we know and love today. It's one of my biggest regrets that I never saw him play at Rage. Hold tight for the greatest thing out of Streatham since the A23 and the man least likely to feature in a Dubai tourism advert, Groove Rider. <laughs> welcome to Trailblazers. <laughs> so anyway, forgive my controversial beginning and let me hand over to Nick Hawks to ask you the first question. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you, Eddie. Oh, my word. Groove, how are you doing, man? Um, not too bad. How are you doing, man? It's been a long time, long time. Oh, it's been too long, mate. It's been too long. And of course, you'd have thought that we might have, in normal circumstances, we might have expected to bump into each other out and about, because that's, with us, that's how we meet, isn't it? It's not a scheduled Zoom call, is it? It's just more like being out and about. And of course, last year, nobody's out and about, and it's it's the craziest thing, isn't it? How's it been for you, man, this last year or so? I've had a rest. Yes. Um, because we've been going hard at it for the last probably 30 years. So I've had a rest and now the, the joke's over. It's time to kind of, you know, be around people and start mingling again and you know, hearing some live music. All I've been doing is annoying my neighbours. That's all I've been doing, man. Right. It's so in our blood, isn't it? You know, being out, clubs, gigs, etc. It's been It's been really tough, but... Hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and hopefully we'll all be back out in the in the club soon. Yeah, yeah. The first question I wanted to ask Groove was, we're talking about like how we only bump into each other, you know, out and about. But whenever I do bump into you, it's usually in a sort of drum and bass related context and it's usually going off and wherever we bump into each other, the scene continues to look healthy and drum and bass just has this amazing sort of staying power it seems that across year after year still there's great parties still there's great enthusiasm for the genre and there's a a lot of good feeling out there and there's new young people coming into the scene i was going to ask you as my first question why do you think it is that drum and bass has managed to have that ongoing appeal where some music scenes literally you know, they'll flare up, won't they? And then they just crash and burn and they're, they're gone. Whereas drum and bass just keeps on rolling. What do you think it is about the genre, man? A major thing is like, which is weird, which I've always found weird, but a lot of people that are really into drum and bass don't really listen to anything else, which I find really odd because I'm not like that, you know. I'm an innovator of the music, but I've never been like that. It's because of other music is why I'm here now. The core of the people that listen to it, they don't really listen to anything else, man. The other thing is that the music's always evolving. That's, that's the main thing. I mean, house music's been the same for how many years? 
And um, it's always pretty much been four to the floor and that's it. But drum and bass, jungle and all that, it's always evolving. And the newer something sounds, the more successful it can be. You know, a lot of other music follows other patterns. You know, the, you've heard that pattern before. You've heard that style before. But it's a, it's a winning solution to drum and bass. Sometimes if you go outside the box, you can be successful. Yeah, and I mean, and when it comes to sort of new productions, new artists coming through, do you feel that we're in just looking ahead across drum and bass, you know, into into the future? Do you think we're in a good position for the genre that there's enough exciting new stuff coming through at the moment, or do you? How do you view the the sort of inflow of new drum and bass at, at the moment? Uh... <laughs> I always love, I always love it. You know, if something comes to me and it's, and it's new and it's different, it excites me. It still excites me. I don't know if other people feel the same, have the same passion as me for this music. It's because it's, it's our baby. You know what I'm saying? It's just like watching it. It's like watching my child grow. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and learn new skills. Like every year, she's learning some other new skills. Drum and bass evolves like that for me. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm always on a hunt for the next new thing, the next new thing, next new yeah. thing. And there's always something in there as well. That is the amazing thing. It's like a big competition. It's like like we're having war out here. Do you get what I'm saying? Producers are having war with each other. Do you get what I'm saying? And I love that because it's always moving. Can't get stuck doing the old school thing because old school is what it is. It's old school. That's what it is. But, you know, we need to keep innovating and pushing boundaries and moving forward and taking it further and see how far we can get with this. Yeah, and well, I totally agree with that. I think there's a place for old school nights, DJs who turn up and play rave records to a crowd of people who want to hear rave records that were made in right. 91, 92. And there were some brilliant records and, and it's totally cool. And I think, you know, great if there's that scene, but I definitely want the other set. I want the new music as well. I want the ability for us to be excited by new music. I, and I think the two scenes can coexist comfortably side by side, personally. It doesn't have to be all new. No. It doesn't have to be all classic. There's a space for it all, I think, man. 100%, man. So uh, I tell you what, we talk about old school and sort of historical music. Maybe now's the time to kind of rewind, get to the early days for you, Groove. I'm interested in what your circumstances were when you were growing up, like whether you were one of these lucky people who were like, yeah, there was music everywhere and da-da-da-da-da, or that we speak to some people on this show and they're like, no, I had to go and seek out the music myself because it, it didn't surround me. I had to go out and discover it. I wonder which camp you sit in or are you somewhere in the middle? Tell us what was going on when you were first growing up and first developing that love of music. Well, I'm, I'm obviously from a West Indian background and um, my dad loved his music. You know, he was into his reggae. Don't get me wrong, I couldn't stand it, but it was it's part of my culture. You know what I'm saying? My dad used to hold his own parties and stuff like that. I never went to any of them. We used to have a house parties where he charged people to come in the house and listen to music and stuff. What, your own your own house was a sort of a bit of a blues, was it? Yeah, blue, well, yeah, that's it. So pretty much 70, in the 70s, that's what, you know, people of West Indian heritage used to do. You know, have their friends around, bring drinks and charge people to come in. Right. You know, <laughs> to have a rave in your house, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. But, um, you know, growing up around that, yeah, I had a, an attraction to music, but I was more into like, well, I didn't really know what I was into, but I liked funk more. I like James Brown and stuff like that, that kind of funk stuff. I didn't really like reggae. I mean, 
even now, I still can't stand it that much. I like dance, or I don't like that, you know, the old man reggae, you know, you know I, don't, I didn't like it at all. So, um, okay. I've always been around music, but my actual first record that I actually bought was actually Rock Around the Clock. Was it? Wow, that's a surprise yeah, to I me. Bought off, I bought it off, um, it wasn't even the original Bill Haley and the Comets version. It was like a rip-off. You know, Woolworths used to sell like... Like cover version cover albums. Cover version albums, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bought one of those. Oh, blimey. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even the right thing, but <laughs> I just like the, the song for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, it wasn't new or nothing. It was like, I must have been about, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, but that's my actual first thing. And then I like, Started to buy chart singles. I tell you what, mate, should we have a quick listen to the Bill Haley original of Rock Around the Clock? Should we just stick that on real quick so people can imagine a young groove rider at Woolworths buying a, a, a shoddy cover version album before he's really found the real the real truth? And then we'll, then we'll talk. I'm not here, mate. I was telling you that in private. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is going out to the world, bro. Let's, let's have a quick listen to Rock Around the Clock and then let's come back and talk about some of those other early purchases. Is that cool? Yeah, man. Well done. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. But get your bad bags on. Join me, hot. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. We're gonna rock, rock, rock till the broad daylight. We're gonna rock, we're gonna rock around the clock tonight. When the clock strikes two, three, and four. So Bill Haley and and a, a radical record actually that was Rock Around the Clock was a kind of earth shaking record when it came out in the fifties and and it was an early purchase for you and then and then Groove you 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 started to then get into the habit of kind of buying seven inch singles you were saying yeah well there's another point I was buying like chart singles and then I came home from school one day can't remember exactly when it was and uh, switched on the TV and. <laughs> I watched the Bill Grundy show. Oh, yeah. And that was the one, because like, we only had one TV in our house at that time. And um, switched it on. I saw the Sex Pistols. You know, they were just swearing and whatever. They're like, you know, I was a rebellious youth at the time. So like, that connected with me straight away for some reason. And then I, I, I tried to seek them out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I tried to find their music to see what, what the, you know, why they was acting the way they were what kind of music they made. And I fell in love with punk. So like, yeah, I mean, in the midst of being in a black household, punk wasn't a thing. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, it wasn't a thing. My mates didn't get it. Nobody got it, but I got it for some reason. Wow. I didn't know this about you. Were you actually a punk yourself? Did you adopt the look? I used to wear safety pins to school. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. That's as far as you, as far as, as I went. far as it got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love punk rock for some reason. I don't know why. And then I discovered Billy Idol. I discovered X-Ray Specs. You know, the path of making punk rock back then. Yeah, I mean, I started seeking out punk rock, man. For some, I don't know why I did that. I have no idea. It just connected with me. And this was when I was at secondary school. Did you manage to see any gigs from any of these bands out of interest? 
young, man. I was way too young for that. Oh, okay. My parents didn't have to do shit like that, man. You know, they was already having a problem with me liking that type of music because it's totally alien to that kind of household. Do you know what I'm saying? So we just didn't get it. So this is quite interesting. So you said your mates weren't into it, family wasn't wasn't into it, but you were. So were you kind of at that point learning to sort of like, yeah, kind of um, be comfortable with embracing something that others around you weren't embracing and go, yeah, I'll, I'll believe in this, I'll champion it, I'm up for it, even even though other people think it's they don't understand it. That's where I got my thick skin from. You know, mm. that's, that's I think that's the birth of like growing a thick skin because if you're an innovative DJ and you don't want to do what everybody else does, your skin's got to be fucking thick. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It has to be. So I'll give you an instance later on, like where this thick skin actually had to like surface. But um, yeah, I mean, like yeah, I'm no stranger to like being on my own and doing my own thing. I was on, I was an only child up until I was 15, so <laughs> I used to do my own thing anyway. You know what I'm saying? And I was always a bit of a, a loner in that respect. You know what I'm saying? I, I had friends, I had peace school friends and all that, but in my head, I was, it's always been me. So, um, yeah, I used to just do my own thing. Well, I'll tell you what, Groove. Could you pick a punk record that soundtracks that that secondary school phase for you that uh, that you just talked about? Well, the thing that drew me into punk was God Save the Queen because I couldn't believe, like, somebody would actually go against the Queen because the monarchy is like everything back then. And it still is now. Don't get it twisted, right? But it was everything back then. Do you know what I'm saying? In the 70s, 77 and all that. Queen's Jubilee, that was massive. My mum's a royalist, the whole thing. So God Save the Queen was right up my street because I didn't like anyone. So it was right up my street. Wow. Yeah, it made sense to me, you know. And I just, don't get me wrong, I wasn't about the spitting and the this and that and whatever they used to do. And that. But the effing and jeffing, that was me all day, man. I loved it. <laughs> All right, let's listen to God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols and uh, think back to uh, the, the effing and jeffing of 1977, <laughs> 1977 as you phrase it. Okay, so what about your adoption of more kind of rhythmic records and, and sort of club culture and dance music? When did that enter your life, Groove? I mean, soul music's always been, as I say, it's always been a part of my life anyway because of my heritage, you know, soul, funk and all that. That was part of the whole reggae, whatever my dad was listening to back then. So, but I didn't really dive into it, but I knew about it. I knew about that thing, but I was just into my bad, my punk music and whatever and whatever. So like a bit of blues, you know, like like, like um, Scar, you know, I became a rude boy, you know, <laughs> went into that little phase. Are we talking the two-tone thing? Yeah, that, all of that, all of that. You know, when the specials dropped and um, Madness, when they were doing that sort of thing, 
it was a big fat guy. I used to like Ian Drew and all them kind of people as well. You're talking bust a blood vessel of bad manners, I bad think, manners. when you refer to the fat guy. Yeah. You, Am no, I right? <laughs> yeah. Am I right? Thank you very 100%, much, Bruce. 100%. I've got, got mad respect for you, man, because you know this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching Top of the Pops as well back in the day. That's what I'm saying, man. So, like, you know, out of punk, you go into the scar because the specials had a black guy in there. So it made even more sense as a role model sort of figure to me. And, you know, my dad got, you know, they used to do this sort of thing in the 60s, didn't they? Like, the scarf thing and all that. So my dad kind of understood that more than he did the punk. So I suppose we've got, yes, yeah, some kind of dance-based music there. But were you seeing any of this in a, in a sort of club context? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I mean, I was only like 13, 14 these times. I suspect my parents didn't let me out. <laughs> no, it was a bad time for like, you know, young West Indian guy. Couldn't really be running the streets at that age because the police were on you too much. You know what I'm saying? All the stories that you hear about young kids, black kids in the 70s and 80s and getting, you know, brutalised and chased by skinheads and all that, that's all real because it happened to me. So my parents wouldn't let me out to do them sort of things and real social things at night time because they were scared for me and, and they, you know, they worried about me so they didn't let me out like that. But it's real, do you get what I'm saying? That's all real. I found hip-hop, Curtis Blow, when she dropped that rap, or was it the Sh- was it Sugar Hill thing? First time I really heard a rap tune, and it resonated with them. So I started to seek out the breakbeats of that sort of thing. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? The, the soul. You know what I'm saying? That was interesting. So it was rap music that really kind of connected you into sort of music that was that was actually getting played in clubs of the day. Well, I still hadn't really been to a club. We were still doing the soul stuff back then. Do you know what I'm saying? Going to the Cat's Whiskers and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like going to like under 18s and stuff like that. We used to go to a, I'll tell you another record that like resonated with me around about that time as well. Sahara, Love So Fine. Think that sort of uh-huh. era. Early 80s coming up to the early 80s. So that let me just get the timeline right. So basically, yeah, we've we've had the the punk awakening yeah. into a little bit of the the sort of uh two-tone and, and all of that kind of thing. And then some early rap which kind of opened your eyes to sort of more rhythmic or club-based music. Right. I'm interested in the first time, to be honest, that you you were in a in a in a club, and you heard music through the set through the speakers and the system in a proper nightclub, and you thought, "This is fucking good." I'll tell you how that happened. Please, my cousin Tony, um, he was about five years older than me, and I was like probably fifteen. And he said, "Ray," I said, "What's up, Tony?" He goes, "You want to come out with me?" I goes, "My parents are never allowed that, man." Do you know what I'm saying? But he said, don't worry, Ray, I'll get, I'll get it sorted. You say you stay at my house or something like that. You know, but we'll sort it. So I go, all right, then. Because, like, I was 15, just discovering girls. Uh, he, he said to me, I'm going to take you somewhere, Ray, where there's so many girls, Ray. So, some wicked girls, wicked girls. But I, we was kind of into the dancing thing then. You get so I started to get into the dancing thing. Because, you know, through the rap game, you know, I had a few steps on me anyway. And he I was a sick dancer. So I knew if I go out with my cousin, to a big people's club, I'm going to get a girl. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm going to get, a, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to get, I didn't know anything about real sex and all them sort of things, just like be able to check girls and all that. You know what I'm saying? So um, he took me out. First club I went to was the WAG. Wow. That was the first club you went to was the WAG. The first club I went to at 15 years old was the WAG. And, and who was DJing? Dave Durrell? I, I have no idea, man. I've got 
It was before, probably before Dave Darrell's time there, man. I, I don't even know, man. But he, well, he started in the 80s. He, he was there in the 80s. Yeah, well, yeah, it must be in then. Friday night at the wag, man. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't care about DJs and all that. I didn't really know anything about that sort of thing. I just know I wanted to go to a club because I heard so much about nightclubs. Never been to one. My cousin, my cousin Tony, I'm going out with my cousin Tony. That's the big, that's the major thing. I'm going out with my cousin Tony. Like, we got to the wag. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get in because I'm too young. I was, don't worry about that, Ray. And we have, he had a friend called Sam, big bodybuilder. And he said, all right, Tony, who's this? He goes, that's my cousin. Go, go straight up. Went up to the wag. Couldn't believe it. Loads of the women, loads of the women, proper women, like 20 years old. With this, these are grown-ass women, man. And I'm like, you know, 15 years old, but I'm like six foot 15, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I kind of look a little bit older for my age. Not like now, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you what, for a first clubbing experience, the wag on a Friday night, that's, that's a good one, man. You were right in at the top level there, man. I didn't know that, though. I just know it was in the West End. I'm going out with my cousin Tony. <laughs> That's all I'm it sounds like a fantastic night. Groove, you gotta pick a record that you heard that night, man, so that we can we can give it a spin. It would have been probably like get loose or something like that. Was that by Aleem? Get loose, maybe. That was Aleem as well, yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, I know that too. That's that's wicked. Let's let's stick that on. Let's imagine you at the wag, <laughs> 15 years old, getting a few steps onto this. There you go again, keeping all of that good feeling like Let me be your friend, maybe I can take you where you've never been Just let me show you what to do I'll put my body, body right next to you Give you so much love, you swear that you can never get enough You're a perfect ten Looking for a perfect way to let it go Baby, just say when And I'll be right by your side before you know Get out your chair and on your feet I'll move my body, body right to the beat so there you are, cutting the rug in the West End. You've come up presumably from South London and you're up West End. It's all bright lights and big city, man. So what was the point where you thought, you know what? I don't want to be a punter in this. I want to be involved in this. When did that light bulb come above your head? From like coming out of the wagon and all that, I started to research music a bit more intensely because I discovered funk and hip hop. and not, not, It wasn't really hip hop, it was more rap music. But yeah, as I was saying to Nick earlier, I was like seeking out the, the back tunes of like these these rap tunes, like the, the melodies and all that, because they my cousin told me, yeah, they they, they snicked them out of other tunes. Do you know what I'm saying? So they used to put loops in. I used to try and seek out the loops. And I met a, a bunch of guys. They had like a this is the era of sound systems as well, because you remember that was going on in the like early, late seventies, early eighties as well for me anyway. So I used to go and listen to stereograph. Because I didn't really like reggae, but I loved dancehall. Dancehall was my thing. Clashes and stuff like that. I loved it. So um, in in the midst that time, amongst that time, I met a, a, a group of guys, and they had they were trying to build their own sound system, but a funk sound system, you know, called Global Rhythm. So I got to shout out my boys Roderick Taylor and Colin, and uh, I just seemed to like connect with them. 
So he asked me, like, do you want to help us build this sound system? And like, you know, just kind of get into music. Like, so, yeah, why not, man? So I started to buy rap music. Just the early times of the turntablists, 12s just, just dropped and people was trying to find skills and try and do scratching. But I couldn't do that. So you know I mean, but no matter how much I wanted to try and scratch and all that, I didn't have turntables. And I was doing it on BPM turntables. I, you know, I found some second-hand BPM turntables with the belt-driven. They weren't techniques. So you'd scratch it and it'd just be bouncing along. <laughs> so these are real times. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've been trying to use my dad's turntable to scratch and it'd be bouncing and, you know, it wasn't good. So um, I used to be like probably the music man. I used to go and look for the music. You know what I'm saying? And um, I don't know how I actually managed to get on in turntables. I think we we clubbed together and bought some. What sort of places were you playing? I wasn't playing anywhere. We're just building the sound system. This is what I'm saying. We didn't oh, really? play. We're just building it to play places, but we didn't have no bookings. You just build the sound system and then hope, hope for the best. In. It wasn't even a thing like that. It wasn't even that professional. We just gonna let's do a sound system. We used to go around schools nicking the speakers out of schools. You know what I'm saying? They used to have big Celestian speakers at certain schools, right? <laughs> they used to go around nicking them like, yeah, you've got big, some eight-inch eight tannoys in, in such and such school. I'm going to think, go and nick them. I'll put my hands up. If you want to come and arrest me now. <laughs> 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 we won't be doing any citizens' arrests during this recording. <laughs> That's resourcefulness. You needed it more than they did. <laughs> we didn't have no money. We, you know, we were kids, man, do you know what I'm saying? So we didn't have no luxuries. The parents weren't going to buy into any of that stuff. So we had to do it ourselves. So is there an early memory of you actually getting behind the decks in front of a crowd and, and sort of mixing two records together? Like, when did that transition happen? I don't know if it happened until I was in my 20s. And, like, that never happened until I went on pirate radio because I managed to acquire... Global Rhythm managed to acquire a sort of radio show on a pirate station, Phase One. Yep. All three of us managed to get different shows and they put me on Sunday mornings. What actually happened is like, I went to the record shop one day and I don't know if you remember Jazzy M. You must remember Jazzy M. Like, absolutely, absolutely. Like, that's my mentor. I went into, he used to work in a record shop called My Price in Croydon. Yes. Right? And I used to go and buy my tunes from there, like for Global Rhythm. And I was in there one day waiting for Rebel Without a Pause, coming in on import. Never heard it. Just heard about this Public Enemy tune. It's going to drop today. Go and get it on import. Waiting in My Price. Got it there at 10 o'clock in the morning, waited, waited until 2 o'clock. And what happened? Jazzy M, didn't really know him too well, but he, got, he was playing some music. And I, I just heard four on the floor. Like, it's like, oh, this music sounds weird. Oh, it sounds like funk. You go, know it sounds like some new funk. So I went up to Jazzy M. I goes, what kind of music is this? He goes, this is house music. Acid house. I goes, no, it's not. Well, what's that then? He goes, yeah, it's some new shit. It's a new funk. I goes like, really? I said, I, can I, what's that tune? He goes, ah, oh, well, you want this? I go, yeah, I'll have some of that. He goes, it's called Baby Wants to Ride. So that's my first like house tune that I ever bought. So I said, you got any more of this? He goes, yeah. Lined me up a load of impulse. By the time Public Enemy came in, I didn't have any money left. So I didn't even get the tune I went there for in the first place. Come out <laughs> with about five impulse. And what happened is like, I started to play it on phase one. Like on Sunday mornings, Acid House between nine and like twelve midday, and um, a guy from the radio station said to me, "Yo, I've got a club. It's in the basement of this of of the radio station. I heard about it. It's more like a blues kind of place. 
never been there. It's a bit too rough for me. Do you know what I'm saying? I was a soul boy, like disco and all that. So I was into and like early house. And he said to me, do you want, do you want to play there? I goes, well, yeah. You know, <laughs> what do you, you say? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I've never really played, I've never played anywhere, but fucking hell, I'll give it a go. So um, I went there, never played at a club, been to many clubs, never been to an acid house club, went there, I started playing, there was nobody in there. And about half, about an hour in, this guy comes down the stairs and he comes on and he comes in with his records. I go, who are you? He goes, I'm Fabio. I've never met him before. He was on the same, we were both on the same station, but I saw his name on the timetable of this radio station or like a DJ's club. I'd never met him before. Just come and put his records down. I wondered like, what's he doing there? Do you know what I mean? But yeah, we're just playing house music. I was just playing house music. And then he came, he go, I goes to him like, do you want to come on? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there wasn't anybody in the club. It was just me and him. This is about one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Never played anywhere before. We was just there on belt-driven decks, clanging up the place, just playing tunes. So we said, well, all right, fuck this. We're going to leave two o'clock. Nobody in there. Geezer who were in the club, Mendoza, said, hold on another hour, right? I've got my brother. He's going to bring some people down. I said, bring people down where? It's Wednesday night. It's fucking two o'clock in the morning. Did you bring people from where? He goes, there's a club in the West End that closes at three o'clock and they're going to come straight here after. Because people ain't coming here at three o'clock on a Wednesday. It's not going to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, we packed up our shit. Started to head home. I go, Fabio, you want a lift? Because I didn't really know this guy. We had shopping bags, like, of records. We didn't even have record boxes. We had shopping bags. You know, laundry bags, sorry. Jar Shaka style. The red, white, and blue ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 man. We were poor. We were poor anyway. And I, I, at that same time, I had a day job. So, like, I'm out till three o'clock in the morning already. I've got a day job, which I've got to be at work at nine o'clock. So I was an accounts clerk as well at that time. You know what I mean? But we, Started to head to the car. I see the guy's brother, the Mendoza's brother, come around the corner. He goes, where are you going? You're the, you're the, get back in there. There's people coming. He goes, fuck off. No, nobody's coming here. Guys, I've got a load of people coming. So we said, all right, then we'll give it 15 minutes. We'll go back in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. By the time we got back in there, put about three records on. I remember this clearly. This place was packed. Don't get me wrong. This place can only hold about 50 people. But this place was packed. That's where it kind of kicked off. That was my first real set. Amazing, amazing. Could you pick a record from a, an early Mendoza set that uh, set the crowd alight, all 50 of them? Um, Mysteries of Love, Mr. Fingers. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's hear that, and then uh, we'll come back and, and talk about what happened next. you something how you felt at that time as a young black man in a, a house music scene did you feel like you were 
entering something that was kind of breaking barriers and crossing cultures? Or did it feel like you were really ahead of the curve culturally at that time? You know, were you, did you feel alienated or did you feel a part of something? You have to remember, I've never been to an Acidale club, so I didn't know about that unity that was there. I didn't know about that. So that never happened until I went to heaven. Then I understood. But I lost a lot of friends because I played house music. So I had to leave, I left the sound system and I made a new friend called Fabio. And if it wasn't for him, like, we not, if we hadn't had each other's backs, I don't even know if we would have still been playing house music because it was so alienated at that time. But Fabio, he used to have blue hair and all that. He was a rebel, man. That's the kind of guy I can hang with. So, like, from that night that I met Fabio, we've kind of been together ever since. You know what I'm saying? Because we just had that connection. He, Fabio's a little bit older than me, so he'd been out. And he'd been to rave clubs and all that, and house music, and you knew about house music. I'll tell you what happened, what made me know Fabio knew about house music more than I did. It's like, when we was playing that first set that night, Fabio picked up the mic and started shouting, I see! I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Is he lost? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> no idea. But I came to realise a few months down the line that that was a thing. So he really knew about all that, but I didn't. And I never really knew about anything until I went to heaven, land of Oz, on a Monday night. And it made sense. Everything made sense. We couldn't even get in at first. We didn't get in there till say, 2 o'clock in the morning. It was one in, one out. If your name, we don't know you, don't know your face. But we managed to get in somehow. We just, like, hanged out. And the bouncer took pity on us and let us in. And I've never seen anyone or been to anything like that before. Lasers, smoke, people, everybody dancing. Loads of white people. Wow. Never seen this before. Not like this. You know what I'm saying? There's no black people in there. We're the only blacks in here. But it doesn't matter because nobody cares. We're just listening to the music, loving the music. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't even know about ecstasy. You have to remember, I've never taken any ecstasy or anything like that. So I didn't know anything about ecstasy. Ecstasy was like rife in there. People were going out of their nuts. I'm like, how come these people are dancing like that? And <laughs> like, I had no idea what that was. I wasn't naive or stupid, but I just didn't know about them things. You know what I'm saying? Because from the culture that I come from, as I said, them things didn't happen. So um, when in that time, fucking loved it. Got to go back there. But then I understood what we was doing. So we started to do Mendoza's every Wednesday and we started to make links with these people that used to go to heaven and all sorts of places. We started to do Mendoza's on a back two or three nights a week because there was acid house nights every night. So we thought, yeah, we could like, earn a little money off of this. And in the meantime, I managed to get myself sacked, do you get what I'm saying, from my job because I was like, playing in doses and going to work, falling asleep in the toilet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was the best thing that ever happened to me is getting sacked from my, my accounts clerk job because I had no choice but to run with this. And in terms of the timeline, it, it seems like from the, the very first time you set foot in heaven at Land of Oz and saw all of this craziness to actually becoming a resident DJ uh, at Heaven didn't seem like that long a, a time gap. Am I right? No, what it is, you know, you said, like, when did you realise you didn't want to pay to get into a club anymore? Because <laughs> me and Fabio were standing outside it for two hours like idiots. But we just wanted to get in. Do you know what I'm saying? And that was the time that I realised that I, I want to get in there for nothing. I want to be the person that they come to see. Yeah. So... I've got this flyer here, actually. I'm going to just stick that for the for your benefit. This is the, the first birthday party 
Rage, Thursday 23rd of November, live on stage, Adamski, Rebel MC, Double Trouble, special surprise guest, DJs Trevor Fung, Colin Favor, Fabio, Groove Rider and Craig Tone. So that's the one-year anniversary flyer, which I, I must have been at that event. How did Rage come about? Because that's a, a pivotal club in your uh, your development, right? Well, yeah, 100%. It was, it was actually people that came to Mendoza that saw myself and Fabio. So, like, Land of Oz was going going on and we were doing Mendoza's on a Wednesday and then Rage started happening on a Thursday and um, we went to that a few times. It wasn't as good as Loud as Oz but it was rave music. It was rave music on a Thursday. Let's have it. You know what I'm saying? So like from Mendoza's on, went on the night that we used to play the nights in Mendoza's there was a girl called Debbie who used to come down and she said to us like I know somebody at heaven. What do you mean know someone at heaven? So what? She goes, yeah, I might be able to get you at, uh, on, at heaven on a Thursday. I said, shut up. What are you talking about? Because it's like Debbie was one of our good mates. You don't know anybody at heaven because heaven is like, you know. The, big, big time. Right. You don't know anybody at heaven. Shut up, man. I can get you at heaven. Or I can get you an interview at heaven. I was like, nah, shut up, man. So like, she come down a few weeks later. She goes, you know what? The guys want to meet you at heaven. Like, they want you to come and play there on a Thursday upstairs in the bar. Like, you know what I mean? Fabio and Eddie fell over. Like, you're serious. Don't be, you know, don't be stupid. You know what I mean? So, like, um, at that time, though, we were doing a few, like, illegal warehouse buys in, dotted in between, like, things like Unit 4. I don't know if yeah. you know, but that was our thing. We used to do that quite a bit. And then, you know, the M25 parties were going on at that time as well. But, um, yeah, she went for an interview. But the interview was on the Thursday, obviously, because it was rage night. I was doing some, like, miscellaneous stuff, <laughs> right? It's, it's dodgy shit. And I got arrested on the Tuesday and I got locked up and I thought, I can't do this. Do you know what I mean? I can't do this shit no more. Do you know what I mean? I've got to do something proper. And like Thursday could be my my ticket out of like doing all this sh- stupid shit because we weren't really earning lots of money from anything from DJ. We used to get paid like £20 for a set and £15. You have to remember like these weren't the days of a thousand, two, three, five thousand pound DJ. We could get 30 quid for a set if you're lucky. 30 quid between us, right? But that was big money for us, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Playing music, fuck, you know. In fact, you're getting paid for it. Fuck, 10 up, fuck, 15 quid, shit. You know, it's a big deal. So, um, I'm, yeah, as I say, I managed to get myself locked up, but I got released on the Wednesday. Just, like, just got locked up overnight. You know, I said to Fabio, like, Thursday, let's do this, let's try and make it work. Do you know what I'm saying? Just go hard. And it, they liked us. Thursday nights wasn't like Monday nights. It wasn't rammed out like Monday nights. It was like just you know, Thursday night. It was all right, a few hundred people. But people liked us. And there was a few people floating upstairs from downstairs on the dance floor. So Kevin Millins, he said, you know what? Do you want to do this every week? What and stuff? I'm just, you know, and we get paid 50 quid. I couldn't believe <laughs> 50 quid. Mate, I was doing that. Like we was there early every week, right? For I don't even know how long. And that's, yeah. First year of birthday, we've been doing that for a year, just doing the star bar. That's right. You built your crowd in the in the star bar first, and then it switched to to you guys playing downstairs, right? What happened? We were playing the music. We weren't playing the same music as Colin and Trevor. I don't know what kind of music they were playing because I never used to go down there. But whatever it was, it was good, but it wasn't what we were doing. So people were leaving the dance floor and leaving holes in the dance floor on the main floor and coming upstairs the star bar. You couldn't get any more people in there. It was so ram, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be like a break off from the main floor. 
So, but we were getting more people upstairs in the star bar than they were having downstairs. So Kevin Millers looked at it and said, you know what? We're going to have to do something here. We're going to have to switch it around. And then that's when me and Fabio went downstairs to play with Kevin and Trevor. Yeah. So I just want to get a sense of like the musical timeline. So were you dropping like breakbeat house and hardcore at this time? No, this was still like acid house days, man. This is still acid house, right. So you were dropping, but what was different from, oh, you said you didn't really know what they were playing. I was just trying to get a sense of what was different about what you were doing. I'm not sure they were playing house music, but it just wasn't our house music. You know, yeah. they were playing like A-sides, but we played the dub instrumentals. We don't want to hear those. <laughs> <laughs> so you were playing, you were just deep, you were playing deeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you used to play the ugly shit, man. Shit that nobody don't want to hear. The bastard is house, <laughs> you know, the dark shit. What are your memories of the way that the breakbeat culture came into the sort of sets that you were playing? Were you actively seeking out records that had had breakbeats in them? No, there was a style that called they used to call hip house. Yep. Yeah, and it was Tyrese Cooper. Tyrese Cooper kind of formulated that style, but never really took up because it, it made sense to us because we're coming from hip-hop, right? And rap music and hip-hop. So, well, we can marry house with hip-hop. And it, it's perfect for us, you know what I'm saying? So we started to seek out the ones with the breakbeat in it. You know what I'm saying? I can't even remember any tunes that I like. But I know Tyrese Cooper used to make stuff like that. And then Frankie Bones, like, oh. That's what I, I was going to say about Frankie Bones is... Um those Bones Break CPs, right? Right. They, but we found Frankie Bones and Lenny D because of Fallout. Because Lenny D was Fallout, wasn't he? And Lenny D yeah. used to have Frankie Bones. And then he made that long, as long as I've got whatever, was it? That was just as long as I got you by Looney Tunes, which I signed to XL, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of broke through. And then, you know, but um, yeah, we tried to mix house with hip hop. You know what I'm saying? And this is like, I call the birth of jungle. What happened one day? I went to um, Red Records where I used to buy my house music as well in Brixton. And there was this guy that used to work at Phase One, another DJ, his name was Funky D. And he came up to me and said, you like this hip house stuff, don't you? I was like, yeah, it's the shit. He said, try this. And he put on Most Wanted, Calm Down, but he played it at 45. Mm-hmm. Right? I said, fucking hell, that sounds heavy, man. So <laughs> I, t- I said, I, t- I was run. I took that shit and run with it. I played the shit to Fabio. Like, <laughs> like, listen to this. He's like, yeah, this fucking sounds like house music, but we can mix it. So that, that's where the formula for Jungle, for me, came. So this is, we started to seek out more. Most one to calm down was the first one. There had to be more. There's got to be more of these. So, and I can mix it with house music because they're not making no hip house. They're not making enough of it. It's not good enough. It's not making enough. So we try to make our own hip house by mixing the house with these breakbeats. You know what I'm saying? Like, we had to slow it down, push that up, you know, usual shit. Try to mix it in. Sounded awful, pretty much. You probably did. I don't even know what the mixes used to sound like back in the day, but I can imagine it sounded terrible. Yeah. But we tried to make it work, make it happen. And that's probably the, the entry level for um, things like Bones Breaks and all that. Because, yeah, we used to play Bones Breaks. It used to be seven Bones Breaks on a, on, a, on a 12 or something like that. And you used to just mix them in. You know what I'm saying? And then Frankie Bones actually went and made the record, like, that was banging, you know, that as long as I've got you thing. What I want to know is that, is that that moment that you heard the 33 RPM record at 45, was that a mistake or was that him just going, yeah, they sounds tearing at us? He, he played it, at, I heard it at 33 and then he played it at 45 and said, listen to this. And it, 
I thought, well, you can mix this with house. Do you get what I'm saying? So that's kind of the birth, man. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. And of course, from there, so much, so much else happened. So, well, maybe we should play one of those records that you've just talked about. Hey, most important, calm down. Yeah, do you want us to play it at 33 or 45? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) We'll play it at 33, okay, and then people can just imagine what it sounded like at 45, yeah? Talk to me about Jungle. Well, leading off from that, we were doing Rage at Heaven, obviously, and Paradise Club was going as well at that time. When we played this breakbeat stuff at this speed, we noticed a change, man. People were going off. They were loving this shit. So obviously, if somebody's loving something, you seek out more of it. Do you get what I'm saying? So I think some young producers used to come down to Heaven and listen to what we were doing. and. you know, people like Adamski used to come down. We had people like Kevin Saunderson come down. And Kevin Saunderson, it caught him. It fucking caught him, man. The breakbeat caught him. That's why he ended up doing that, um, what's that thing, man? You know what I'm talking about? The breakbeat tune, man, and I remixed it for him. What is it called again? The one with that has a mentasm type break in it? Yeah, yeah. That- <laughs> Tronic House. That's it, Tronic House. <laughs> well done! <laughs> You got me. You put me on the. You put me on the spot there, Drew, on KMS. Yeah, that was a banger. I mean, he came down to heaven one night. Him and um, I don't know if he was with Derek at the time, but he came down to heaven and heard what we were doing, like with the breakbeat in the house and all that. And he came back, like a few, come back to the country a few months later and give me this dog plate, man. Tronic house. Yeah. Oh, that was a banger, man. That's what I'm saying, man. And it twisted him up, man. The breakbeats were twisted him up, man. It's like that's why he come back with that. Do you know what I mean? He goes, yeah, this is, I got inspired from what you were doing here, what you guys are doing here. So uh, that's like, like, our connection, that's why I met Kevin and I went over to Detroit to remix Tronic House Room and all that. Right. I didn't know that you'd been over to Detroit and hanging out with Kevin Saunderson, actually. Yeah, man, it was like a dream for me, man. Like, fuck it, hell. It was his house and everything, man. His kids, wow. his wife and everything, man. They flew me in. So when did you start remixing stuff? Because that's a real step up, isn't it? I started like getting into music, like trying to do trying to do production because of Chris Paul. I don't know if you remember Chris Paul. I know Chris, yeah. Because like he used to do the orange stuff and make tunes himself. That's where I started to get a, a little thirst for making tunes. Then I tried to like impose that on Fabio. So um, we met a guy who tried to um, you know find some producers for us and like help us write tunes because we didn't have to use equipment and all that. Not really. 
Do you know what I mean? I knew like what they did, but I didn't have to use any of that stuff. So I tried to write a few tunes with Fabio and some other guys. I can't remember what they called it. And then we, that's how we made that Rage tune. Do you know what I'm saying? About that sort of time. First we remixed Carl Cox's I Want You Forever. That was the first thing we ever did with these producers. And then we tried to write a tune. We made that tune called Rage. And uh, Fabio just wasn't feeling that side of things. So that's not, that never really took off. But I persisted with Chris Paul, you know what I'm saying, and went over to his house and he used to school me up and show me how to do things and this and that. And that's kind of where I kind of got into, you know, just trying to fiddle about with tunes actually production-wise. Can you pick something that you either remixed or, or produced for us to give a little listen to now? I mean, if you could get your hands on a copy of Rage, that'd be good. Okay, we'll do that. We'll fish that out and, uh, and give that a spin. So what about the birth of drum and bass coming out of Jungle? Can you tell us a bit about the early days of drum and bass and also your prototype label? Jungle was like, you know, it was going through a bad spot. Like all, all the, um, the guys started to come out, you know, because like girls love Jungle at that time. And if, when girls love Jungle, guys follow. But it was the wrong guys. Do you know what I'm saying? It was the hoods. Do you know what I'm saying? And um Started to go through a bad patch, started to get a bit dark, and you know, the raves that's where like the drugs started to really take over, cocaine and all that started to come into the parties. It was less about ease and having a good time, and started to get a bit dark. So, like, what I thought personally, like, it had a lot to do with the music and then the, the reggae element of that music, it bringing the wrong sort of people, the people that didn't actually want to come there for music. Do you know what I'm saying? So, um we started to swing more back to instrumentals, less of the regular lyrics and all that, swing back more to instrumentals. And the tune that really kind of broke through for me was that when LTJ Bookham started to really start to unleash some tunes to Atlantis and then he came with music. And for me, that was a game changer because it proved that you could do music. These people will still be into it, but they didn't have to have regular lyrics. There was a lot of tunes like that at that time, Omni Trio, and then the things like Helicopter didn't have any, you know what I'm saying, didn't have any ragged lyrics. So maybe it might force them out. Maybe they might want to listen to something else. So that's kind of the birth of drum and bass for me. Like at that point, that was a shift. And did you start playing sets that were pretty much exclusively what we now would recognise as drum and bass then? Yeah, I mean, stepping out of jungle, it's back end. You have to remember Goldie was coming up then times as well. So we started to get that metalhead's flavour coming, slipping through, Fotex slipping through, digital slipping through. These producers started to like, make some new, interesting music and they didn't have the ragged lyrics in there. They didn't need them because the music was standing up by itself. 
you know what I mean? So these people were slipping through the, and I can't actually remember the actual tune that broke, but I remember there's it quite a lot of people, man. There's you know, people like Oxford Hardcore, so many people trying to innovate something new at the time. Should we maybe listen to one of those LTJ Bookham joints? Bobby Music, that's my favourite. Music, yeah? Yeah, music, 100%. Did it feel like there was like a, 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 not a shift, but like um, a splintering going on? Because like you said, Goldie, Metalheads, the whole Fotec, Lemon D, all of those guys that had that very raspy kind of hard style. And then you had LTJ doing something that was much more what I saw as kind of girl friendly and they called it intelligent drum and bass. And do you know what I mean? So there was a real split there. So how did you see that happening? And where did you stand within that? I was just on I was just on everything because like I'm coming from an era where it's all music, do you get what I'm saying? Like house music split into about a hundred different factions. But it was house music to me. I looked at jungles as, as the same thing because it was all jungle to me at the time. And then I started to hear this term intelligent drum and bass, like, fuck's that? Do you know what I mean? But oh oh Brooklyn's got glasses, so it's intelligent. So like we didn't really understand that. But People were trying to split it. They were trying. And, but we weren't letting it happen. You know, the real people didn't want that to happen because we just loved the music. We don't want that to, what happened to us to happen to this. We want it all together. So you were representing everybody. And so you would be then the ideal kind of uh, radio spokesperson for this genre, right? So, And you had your pirate radio background. So let's just talk a bit about how radio evolved for you. Well, we got into radio through... Um, as I say, Pirate Radio, obviously, like phase one. And then we got headhunted at KISS. They came, KISS became a legal station. At the time we was on phase one, KISS was illegal. And when it got its license, so we're looking for new DJs and uh, they came and banned us. And uh, yeah, we was, we was there for a couple of years and we did really well there, like playing Jungle. We did really well there. And then uh, Radio One come and speaks us out. We knew Wilbur Wilfelforce from KISS and he moved to Radio One and then he asked Fabio, like, do you guys want to come and try out for uh, Radio 1? Of course we do. It's National Station. Why not? So we went over there, smashed it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, we were there for 12 years. You know, we done really well there. And would you would you say that when you moved to Radio 1, uh, that was around the time that your career got properly international? 100%. Our thing, our thing was, we first and foremost were club DJs. So no matter what happens with radio and all that, it doesn't matter. Because we're first and foremost, we're club DJs. We define ourselves as club DJs. We don't really want to do that. But 
if we can get a little extra shekels because of it, why not? If we can get a little extra promotion because of it, we never looked at it that intensely. We didn't realise there was any that, we didn't, you know, we just did play music because we didn't go in with some like new mentality of, you know, we're going to be, try to be, come out come across as some middle class kids and all that because we were never that. We're going to come with our little road thing. If you're in it, you're in it. If you're not, you're not. But we're going to do our thing. You know, so if you listen to the shows, we're just like two guys having a chat. That's that's how we used to roll. No, nothing ever, never, nothing was ever that serious there. Do you know what I'm saying? We just went in and rolled it out. Basically, that's how we deal with it. Didn't prepare for a show. Just come in with our tunes and rolled out. Simple things. And tell me a little bit about the international explosion then, because you travelled all over the world repping drum and bass, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the first country I ever went to to DJ was Germany. Right. That was um, before the wall was the wall. I don't know, the wall had only just come down. When I was in Berlin. You must have been playing techno then. I can't even remember. I don't think so. I don't know. I can't remember. It must have been. Must have been. I, I guess what I guess is that you had just a few little international. I'm assuming this is the case. A few little international bits there in that sort of late yeah, yeah, 80s, early 90s, just a smattering of a bit of Germany or whatever. But then my guess is that by the time that we're we're in, you know, your Radio One zone, that's got to be America, or Australia, and everything. I was right? about to say it was Australia because I'm still carrying crates. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Australia would have been just before Radio 1 now I think about it because I, I had a record box by then but I carried a crate to Australia open crate and they put it in the luggage An open crate? <laughs> Hold on not even a record box with no, a lid? No, no. Just like one of those milk crates? Milk crates, yeah You're joking <laughs> all the way to Australia with a milk crate? Yeah, man. <laughs> That's amazing, man. This is the real shit. That's real shit, man. When when Sol, I mean, it's later on, but when Solwax came on my radio show, that they they brought in three open milk crates, and I just thought, respect. <laughs> hey, listen, I went to Australia with two crates. Didn't have no record bag. Couldn't afford them sort of things. You know what I'm saying? This is wow. before radio. That's why I know it's before radio one because I had record boxes in, but um, none of them come out because it was shoved in so tight that they wouldn't fall out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I went to Australia, two milk crates. Amazing. And are there any particular international DJing sort of memories that come to mind? I was just saying, you know, you had your label prototype up and smashing it by then. Any particular tracks on the label that you remember playing in a particular environment, perhaps? The track that stands out most to me is uh, Threshold by, um, what do you used to call himself, Cybertron which is actually Dillinger, which was the actual first tune on Prototype. I thought, you know, I've got a wicked tune on my <laughs> <laughs> And is that, is that before Goldie got him on Metalheads? Oh, yeah, 100%, man. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's hear that.
I want to ask you, Groove, about the future, actually. I want to ask you what you'd still like to achieve. Well, to be honest with you, Nick, at this present time, just to be out would be good. <laughs> yeah, right. I achieved to be at another gig. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, what I love about drum and bass music is like it's no other music. Like once it gets a once you catch it and that crowd, it's like a football match. And there's no other music that brings that energy, man. No other music. And that's why it's been around so long. Because if you go to a festival and you go to the drum and bass tent, that's the tent that's happening. Like vibes wise, if that tent has got a good sound system and got people in it, it's going to be like a football match in there. It's not going to be like any other thing in that festival. That's 100%. And it's always been like that. And I don't know why it's like that. Because like I'll go into house tents and I'm nodding my head for about 10 minutes and you probably get a whoop here and there. But you go to a drum and bass tent, it's going off, man. People are dancing. The noise is incredible. And that's why people miss festivals so much because we miss that energy. And when I go to festivals, I tend to really leave the drum and bass tent. It's hard for me to leave it because of the energy, man. It's mad. Long may it continue. Agree. I hope so, man. I hope so. Before you go, let me just ask you about the crowd that you've been playing to all of these decades. Now, you mentioned that when drum and bass was going through that kind of like ragger thing in the early days and it attracted a bad crowd. And then after that, you sort of reined it in. You said by playing more instrumentals and stuff. And you said that how you've approached it is was quite dark with the music you play. Let's look at your crowd over the years. How have you seen it shifting gender-wise, boys versus girls, or, or even colour-wise, like black and white? How have you seen it shift in those ways? Well, a lot of people call it middle-class music. <laughs> it's quite ironic. <laughs> yeah, because it started so, so street. So street, so not from where it came from. But you have to realise who's making it now. You know, not so many black people make it anymore for some reason you know they shifted onto grime and you know hip-hop which is good because we only used to use impulse back in the day you know if you're going to get a soul tune it's got to be american artists or it's got to be if you're going to listen to a rap tune it's got to be or hip-hop tune it's got to be by an american artist and there's been a big shift with that because britain now can stand up in in urban music for itself we're 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 showing you know we're taking our stuff to america the americans appreciate what we're doing now so, you know, that's probably why, you know, there's not so much, uh, you know, people of colour within, you know, drum and bass as it used to be. You know what I'm saying? Because you've you had so many other genres, you know, garage, which loads of people are into, and I say soul, R&B, grind, you know, we have our own version of hip-hop. So that's probably why there's not so much, like, people of colour in, in this music. I don't know. I, I can't put it down to anything because I love it. How about boys versus girls, your crowd, over the years? I mean, yeah, I mean, there was a point where it was like a dick farm in most clubs. <laughs> you know Sausage I mean? factory. That's what I'm saying. But um, there's so many different scopes to drum and bass now. You know what I'm saying? You've got the hospital boys doing their thing. You've got metalheads doing their thing. Everybody's still doing that. You've got Ram doing their thing. And, you know, girls go out. You've got, and you've got the other things like sun and bass. You know, you've got loads of different elements. So it evens up now more than it did. I would guess that the hospital kind of nights would be a bit more girl-friendly maybe than the Ram ones. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, so it, it is like, it's a, yeah, it's like the old days where Danny Bookham was getting more girls because it's more dre- it's kind of more dreamy. Like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's more airy and musical and, you know. Yeah. But, you know, don't get it wrong. There's a lot of jump-up girls out there as well. Don't forget that, man. Yeah, yeah. Jump-up raves have got a lot of birds. 
probably more than a lot of other organisations. You know what I'm saying? Because they love that for some reason, which is cool. I love that too. But a lot of girls seem to follow that more than they really would metalheads or something like that or RAM on that scope. But, you know, hospital, you know, and I've seen hospital encompass everything at the moment as well. They haven't just stuck to that, what they're supposed to be. They've started to move in a few different kind of other people. You know, if you look at the hospitality in the park, the amount of different variations of drum and bass that they're showing there in Jungle. So, you know, they're trying as well. They're trying to incorporate everything. Okay. So, Groove, we're going to ask you the same question that we ask uh, every esteemed guest. David Brodigan, who has been one of these, uh, by the way, t- tell your dad. <laughs> so, uh, we ask that when and not if the aliens get here, because it's going to happen. Uh, one day they're going to arrive, and maybe they might not be as friendly as we want them to be, and and maybe they're going to want us to not be around, you know, for some reason. Or what is the tune that you could play to these aliens to convince them that the human race is worth saving? Because it's got to be music or art, hasn't it, to convince <laughs> them? You're not going to do it with words, are you? You've got to do it with with feelings and surely music is going to be a, a way to save the planet Earth. so groove what are you going to save earth with and why uh i don't know i'd have to give him my favorite tune ever man barely breaking even man uh i don't know why it's just a nice tune <laughs> <laughs> well how does that tune make you feel it makes me happy because i love leroy burgess and it's you know it's just it's not even about the words it's just about the tune it's i don't know i love instrumentals and it just soothes me you know what I'm saying? And when I'm sh- when I'm feeling shit, I put on barely breaking even, and that sort me right out for some reason. I don't know why, but it's just my favourite tune. That's as good a reason as as any. Let's uh, it's Universal Robot Band, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, barely breaking even. Fantastic groove. That's wonderful. All right, well, f- thank you so much, Groove. We're, we're going to leave that to play out. We really appreciate you joining us today and uh, sharing your thoughts and your wisdom, man. Thank you. Here, here. Big up, man. It's always a pleasure and an honour for Eddie and I to talk to amazing people on this podcast. We really enjoy doing it. Thank you for listening. Do make sure that you subscribe, please. And also, if you can find the time to leave a review, that really helps all of us to keep the wheels turning and keep this podcast happening. And finally, thanks to Skiddle for all their help in making this happen. 